Hello, and welcome to His Dark Materials official full season two trailer breakdown. October 15th, 2020, His Dark Materials just dropped a trailer, a real one, a two-minute one. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. And yes, it is the longer trailer. The other trailers were also real trailers. <sighs> no, they all are. I don't really know what to call this. Yeah, because they called this the official trailer. What they did, they did something very clever. It was on Twitter. They were mm -hmm. like, like our tweet, and we will tweet emoji compass you. They will tweet alethiometer you. So you would like it, and they would give you three emojis, and those emojis would correlate to things from the alethiometer, symbols on the alethiometer, and it would give you a little reading. And I think we liked it at least 14 times. <laughs> were you getting notifications to your phone like, his dark materials is giving you yet another alethiometer reading? No, because I don't get Twitter notifications to my phone. Because <laughs> I do all. shit like this. <laughs> uh, because of that, because I gotta live my life every now and then. <laughs> or when I post at 1am his Dark Materials uh, characters as Halloween candy. You wouldn't want that at 1am. No, that was I good. It. That was quality content. Which if none of you have seen it, please go check it out. Yeah, we'll link it. Yeah, oh. this uh, this episode tonight is going to be a little bit like that. It's going to have that same one a.m. energy. energy. We are one hit wondering this again. One hit but wonder. So if you hear some ice from the slosh of a drink from either of us, or the shooting of a shot, or the uh, muffled giggle, just know we are with you. The trailer, like we said, came out today, and we had to rush to talk about it because there's a lot to talk about. And today is like a holy day for his dark materials because it's also a book release day. Oh my gosh, Serpentine came out. If you were in the UK, you might have gotten it yesterday, but Serpentine, which is a bridge book, a book that will take you from the end of the series to Lyra's Oxford. If you've read Lyra's Oxford, if you haven't, you should, you're missing out. Short, sweet, good, to the point, and then this book comes next. Serpentine will bridge you from Lyra's Oxford to the Secret Commonwealth, basically, which, shh, no spoilers on that. We're going to spoil the main trilogy today a little bit. So if you haven't finished the books, probably not for you. Uh, if you're open to spoilers, stick around, hang out. We'll have some fun. But uh, yes, no no outer spoilers for Eliana's sake. <laughs> Sorry. And yes, as, as Clay said, though I have read Liars Oxford, but we are mostly, I think, going to spoil the second book. There will probably be a little bit of stuff from the third book, but... Maybe we won't go as heavy this time as we did in the last episode. Yeah. And another thing of note, if you're listening to this immediately after it's out, it's probably the 16th of October in the U.S. 2020. If you're listening to this, uh, if you're in the U.K., I can't do math. It's far too late. It's time time not to do math. What do you got, Aliana? You got 6 6.30 p.m. UK 6.30 p.m. UK. If it's 1.30 p.m. here. Oh, so you have watched the trailer several times, and there is something really awesome happening tomorrow, the 16th of October, which uh, is Philip Pullman is doing an interview for Waterstones at 1.30 my time, Eastern Daylight Time, 
I think tickets are still out there. They're like five pounds or so. If you hear this in time, please sign up and go listen to it while you're doing whatever. He'll be talking about the new book, Serpentine. He'll be talking about, I'm sure, some Book of Dust stuff and some main series stuff and some of his methods. And I'm sure I will be taking notes uh, to eventually bring back, let you know what we learned. And maybe we'll chat with it with our friends Ian and Amy at Dark Materials Podcast and Faye over there at her dark i don't know if it's secret commonwealth spoiler i'm sorry aliana and has has rachel finished it i think i think rachel has finished it yeah rachel her dark i think has finished it net by now but eliana's getting there she's working on it i'm working on it i'm working on it but yeah so excited about that i hope that this time philip pullman will be able to tell us that he has been able to visit the ducks by the river that so inspire him to write (laughs) as he revealed during another interview earlier on during the pandemic that he did and that you know hopefully he's gotten a little bit more inspiration i hope that we get to see again philip pullman really validated me when he showed us his office he's like if i see a surface (laughs) i have to put a thing on it i'm like i feel that I wonder what his page count is for uh, Dust 3, Book of Dust 3. His page count, the last time we checked in, when the last interview he did, public chat he did, we had tea time with Philip, and he had 42 handwritten pages for Dust Book 3. So I hope that it is maybe more than that. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. No pressure. Well, without the ducks, how can he advance? Yeah. We do need to find the ducks. Maybe they're in the pond. Maybe they're in the pond. Some pond somewhere. So a a month from tomorrow, which is October 16th, a month after that, November 16th, that's when this whole series that we're watching together is going to premiere. Yes, his Dark Materials will premiere on HBO BBC. Right now, it's not confirmed at the time of recording for the UK. However, it is likely to be the day before it's confirmed for us. It's been confirmed for us, a.k.a. U.S., a.k.a. United States, at 9 p.m. on the 16th, which is a Monday. So I'm pretty sure our magical friends across the pond can expect it for Sunday night at 9 p.m. their time or whatever time it airs. I don't know. I don't want to hear about it. Don't tell me. <laughs> yeah. At least we have the benefit Big of mad. knowing, you know, what happens and that they've been, so far as we can tell, fairly faithful to the books and have been only making, it seems, quite good choices in terms of what to add. Yeah. We'll it, it's a that. great adaptation. I think uh, we're going to talk about how they're seemingly moving some stuff ahead that might have been off page and stuff from the third book. So we might, might see some stuff. We might see the only thing really big in this trailer that I noticed was missing was no Mary Malone. That's interesting, yeah. I, I guess why. it's not as significant in this book, right? Like, it's not... She's significant, but she's not all book. She's partial book. I guess part of it is that while it's sort of been intimated by some scenes in the previous trailers where Lyra's amongst cars, mm-hmm. we haven't really seen things that really confirm being in this in our world right in will's world for both of them again so that could be it i don't know but obviously we have to because of lord boreal i don't know why there's no mary malone maybe they just haven't finished her shots or whatever because they've given us a ton they've given us uh the cave scene they we've seen the picture of the cave which is awesome it's a very 
awesome shot if you haven't seen it. I believe I have it on Twitter somewhere, so shoot us an email or message if you're dying to see it and have not. But the cave looks cool. This trailer, though, did give us a lot of new stuff. Uh, a lot. I was surprised. I thought it was going to be kind of a rehash when I got the tweet like, oh, Same. you'll get the trailer tomorrow, blah, blah, or you'll get the trailer later. Just keep believing in the alethiometer. I thought it might be like a rehash of a bunch of these scenes, but... It's big. You have a lot of new narrations, so we're going to highlight the narrations that are said through this. Like, the very first scene opens and Marisa Coulter is narrating, the world's changing. We've all sensed it. Yeah, that's real. I feel that. Mood. <laughs> real life. But, yes, and then we have the Zeppelin in the open sky once more and, like, shooting up from the rocks. And there's a quick shot of Lyra, who's apprehensive. Lee Scoresby's anxiously waiting with a gun. Then Yorick Bernison angrily uh bristles into the camera oh my god yorick in season two yorick's not in the subtle knife that's huge uh we last see yorick right we leave him at the bridge of the stars in northern lights and i think that his season three arc is being moved up a little bit we're gonna see kind of the off the pages and the aftermath of a certain shmi schmorsby's shmying at the end of season three you know, when he schmies. When he smizes, as Tyra Banks calls it. <gasps> when he schmites the schmullet. When he smiles with you his know eyes. You know what I mean. That's what, that's what Chloe's saying. Smizes. <laughs> oh my god. No, when he dies, Eliana, he's gonna fucking die. Smizing. <laughs> but yes, absolutely. And this is actually something our good friend, Lo, brought up. Soon, excitedly after the trailer, immediately like <laughs> two minutes or so after oh, the yeah, trailer yeah. drops, Lo is like, "New trailer!" and DM'd me, and actually same. brought up this exact same scene and said, "Is this from season one or season two? And I'm like, "I'm a dinkus, I don't know, but it's probably season two. And we were discussing that maybe they cover that bear migration that ends up happening in the aftermath of the doors between worlds being broken, and therefore there's like all that." global warming and shit it makes sense to cover that because of these ill effects we're seeing a few things we're going to talk about mrs coulter with a window in a bit but we're seeing some things that might not have necessarily been on page happening and i do think that we might see the actual eating of shmi schmorsby uh, i think shmi schmorsby his carcass might be eaten by yorick in this season it might not be season three they might move it up to the finale which part of me was a little, I don't know about it. We'll get into it. But I, I, I think I like that, actually. I think it's a good way to cut something from season three. Because at this point, season three is a mammoth. Or a mulefa, I guess, if we're in universe. But it, it's freaking huge. Holy crap, how are they going to do season three in one season? It, I don't know. My understanding is they floated the possibility of breaking it into two, which would make sense. There is a lot in there. It's a very, very dense book. So moving They could do up, it. But. They could, but like, remember the last time they tried to smush everything into one thing? <laughs> but I mean, actually, they, they probably could. They've been doing a good job, and if they space things out from the third book into the second book, sorry, yeah. the second season, that would make sense. Serafina and Ruda discuss the prophecy, the prophecy, prophecy, walking in the night amongst trees and at a campfire. Ruda says, the prophecy is clear. Serafina says, our duty is to protect the girl and boy. There's a lot of prophecy talk in this trailer. 
There is. And, you know, I don't know that the prophecy ever really said that the witches had to protect them. That's something that they sort of took upon themselves in the books, especially because you have a couple of witches who are like, but what if we destroyed the boy and the girl? That could be fun, too. And I just also want to say, you know, it must be nice having having clear prophecies, being able to say the prophecy <laughs> is clear, as opposed to that other book series that we read. Uh, prophecy is what you make it, Eliana. Prophecy is what you make it, right? I'm just kidding. But that is, it is what the position of the witches kind of is in the book. Some of them are like, we're ready to join Asriel. Some of them are like, we follow the Lake Inara precedent being set that we must protect the chosen ones. And Serafina seems to want to protect them because of what the prophecy says and because of what their job is. Uh, and it feels very, you know, what new child is this? Right? Very prophesied one, Christ is born kind of crap going on. You know, like Christmas at church. You know, I'm just thinking about my childhood right now. Yeah. Christmas at church, the thick tights that are kind of velvety when you're a little girl you wear, Christmas dresses, Jesus, all that stuff. We can still wear those. Yeah, that's true, actually. I might do that. Hmm. Do whatever we want. Hmm. We're adults. <laughs> so, it's the same position that Seraphine, of course, has in the books. And, you know, Will and Lyra, they walk into Chittagaze is, the, is one of the next scenes. We see the light shooting up into the sky again. And honestly, I'm going to be real. Every time, especially in this trailer, it looks way cooler somehow than it did in the previous trailers. The light in the sky, like, really excites me. I, I don't know what it is. I'm like, whoa, very cool. <laughs> Maybe it's just like, it, it kind of reminds me now of some of the Legend of Korra stuff. Now that I'm like, uh, yes! it's a rewatch. It's a rewatch. I watched it when it was originally coming out back then. But I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The spirit portal. It's, a, oh my God, I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I'm spoiling things, but the imagery of it on top of the hill, the, the, the giant shining mm -hmm. door. It's nice because it kind of, I think, mirrors some of the cinematography and imagery of Chittagaze with the Tori Deli Anjali kind of poking out at it. It's a yeah. city. I love it because it's that idea of the heavens and the angels. And of course, this season is anchored at the end by angels, right? We're going to get to. And I just love the, the statues being flaked now. Anyone that's a Doctor Who fan, other BBC fans that are listening might know that angel statues are a no-no, but this is the first time on a BBC program that I can tell you I trust these angels. I do. I do. We get a narration from Lyra. Something happened in this world. There's something important that connects us to this place. We see Lyra and Will standing in front of the Tower de Angeli, flanked by stone angels, and the door has this beautiful iron inlay design on it that I know Eliana will tell us about in just a little bit. We will get to see Baruch and Balthamos this year. There's been nothing yet in the trailers because it's such a small part, but important part, right? It's a huge part, and they'll probably be a huge surprise in the end of the season for fans to guide Will when Lyra has disappeared. Baruch is played by Oliver Monaghan, and I.K. Agu is playing Balthamos. Monaghan has been in some movies and shows, The Sermon, Sammy Can't Dance, Another, Mo Another Mother's Son, and Monaghan has a really great personality. His Twitter feed is really funny. If you have a chance, please go read through it. Follow us back, XOXO. Uh, but he has a Vimeo and great bone structure, so I'm very happy for Oliver Monaghan, man. He is doing great. And Agu is actually, I.K. Agu is a singer-songwriter, 
actor, drum and bass artist. Hmm. And he's been in a couple of movies, Golden Years, Access All Areas. And I'm saying this objectively, he's ripped. Oh, my God. The guy is like a saint of muscles. He is just like a muscle on a muscle. Good for him. He probably works very hard on that. I just I, w- I saw the pictures and I was like, good for Good for you. You are ripped. I, my muscles will never be anything but the frozen yogurt state they are, but that was impressive. I have not so checked th- that out, but good to know. Go check it out because I'm just like, they are going to be the best angels. They are going to be amazing Baruch and Balthamos. I can already tell I have complete faith, which is what you're supposed oh. to have in these angels. Some wow. faith, faith, faith. Gotta have you know? Faith, faith. Baby. I don't actually know. I think the I words. did I know, that song. We did this in A Song of Ice and Fire the other day, That's actually. That's so crazy. Why is that song in my head lately? I don't know. <sighs> what did I watch? I don't anyway. know. So, as Chloe said, yes, the architecture on the Torre Deli Angeli is really great. And actually, I think during one of our episodes covering the first season of His Dark Materials, we had a discussion about M.C. Escher and especially how it manifests uh, in the opening sequence that, what do we call those? Title sequences, right? Intros, yeah. The opening anime song. And <laughs> the chevron-like pattern that's there with the, with the iron interlacing one another is really reminiscent, I would say, of tessellations, uh, these, the tiles tessellating. And I think we discussed during that episode the Alhambra in Spain, and its influence that it had on M.C. Escher's art. And I, I, I want to come back to that, since we're seeing it really come through in Chittagaze, as well as in, in that opening sequence. But if we really look at how that pattern manifests here and influences everything there, we start to see more elements that connects that opening sequence and some of the themes in the stories, and it really comes to life. And the tessellations feel, like I said, derived from M.C. Escher's work, especially these woodcuts of some of those tessellations, Metamorphosis 1 and Metamorphosis 3. And then also you might recognize another one of his artworks, Convex and Concave, The Crossroads. And I would say that the opening sequence feels a little bit like another one of his, I want to say it's called Relativity. The, the lithograph relativity feels reminiscent of that. The, the image of Lyra and Will walking on the stairs uh, apart from one another in the opening sequence. And the in these woodcuts for Metamorphosis 1 and 3 and a little bit during Convex and Concave, you'll see this image, this idea of like many, many cubes stacked against one another that looks a little bit like rhombial tiling. And it creates this illusion of cubes all stuck together or interlacing but here it looks like what this pattern is, is that same sort of cube-like pattern, but they remove the lines that create that illusion of volume and, and sort of just flattened it, which still really, I think, evokes that, that artistic influence very well. So great job to them. And it also, I think, because of that interlacing ge- geometry, goes well with the visual cues of those striations, those, those uh, stripes in the opening sequence that come from the worlds all flattening into one another. 
And we'll come back to that same visual cue in a bit. And that idea also then of the interlocking worlds, that cross-section of mathematics, all these cubes coming together, geometry with art. But it's also this idea of pushing the boundaries of physics, right? M.C. Escher's art was really exploring those strange paradoxes. And that's kind of what's happening here, right? In his Dark Materials, the story. So you have these transformational themes, also like the metamorphosis, right? Uh, that, that's coming through in the season. And they're all like, the world's changing. But also, you, again, the Alhambra, as we said before, Chittagaze is a place of exchange culturally. It was a place where a lot of merchants came. Um, and even the Alhambra it was very much that in our real world. It has Islamic influence later taken over by Christianity. It, it, it's a place where a lot of cultures came together. And this fictional world, Chittagaze, is also a fictional interdimensional crossroads. Yes, it feels like there's a lot of plots coming together, and they are showing that visually. They're showing a lot of different styles coming together. We're going to talk about a lot more of the clothing as we go along. And we did talk about back when we covered the subtle knife in chapters three and four, our 10th His Dark Materials episode, a lot about the architecture of Chirigatze. Uh Antonio Santalia was a huge influence on Chirigatze, right? We actually got him in the text as a reference mm -hmm. as a city that's nearby. And he was an Italian architect who was known for bold, ske bold sketches, futuristic works. He had no completed physical pieces, but he had so many different projects, including a design, La Cita Nuova, the new city from 1914, where he envisioned a city being a part of something bigger, a bigger machine, right? A, a cog in a bigger, beautiful, modern machine. And he had another piece, Messaggio, that was in a very similar vein. And there's a great quote that he says that was, the problem of modern architecture is not a problem of rearranging its lines, not a question of finding new moldings, new architraves for doors and windows, but to raise the new built structure on a sane plan, gleaning every benefit of science and technology, rejecting all that is heavy, grotesque, and unsympathetic to us in tradition, style, aesthetics, and proportion. And that is really well displayed by the way and just the appeasing aesthetic of like how the top of the tower, the, the arch that looks like the subtle knife, the blade of the knife just hits a point, right? And it brings your eye up and you see that beautiful interlocking, like you said, of the interlocking of worlds of those shapes in that kind of iron uh, door slash surface. And it's really interesting how it brings your eye up and it brings your eye to exactly where the point shoots into the sky, right? Yeah, and, and everything on that tower kind of does that. It, it emphasizes that majesty and verticality, mm -hmm. because even the angel statues, right? Some angel statues you'll think of as their wings outstretched. Here, it's pointing upwards. So, fantastic job to all those people. But let, let's let's zoom out, right? Let's do an aerial view of the island. The island is gorgeous. I was on the fence last episode that we did of these trailer breakdowns. I will say I was being negative. I think that the shots that I saw in this, it looks perfect, right? It's narrow. It, it, it builds up. It, it just feels so new. It's a new world. It's a seaside Mediterranean town. It looks perfect up close, but the Torre... The Tour de Angeli, like you said, it just has such an industrious look compared to the rest of the town. The town, the rest of the town is like these narrow alleys and there's laundry everywhere on lines. And I love it. I really love it. It just feels like it would have been busy. It would have been the busiest place in the world if it wasn't for the specters. That's a great point. I didn't even think about that and how that dovetails well with uh, Lyra saying something happened here because it, it looks like people just left and that's how it's described in the books, but they use a risotto 
Yeah. It's like half eaten and not rotten yet. So here they're using the laundry to give that that lived in feel. I hope we get a risotto, but only because I like risotto. Love uh, risotto. Little <laughs> truffle, little morel. Come on. Little yeah. little rehydrated chanterelle. Oh man, that's gonna I haven't done a risotto in a while. It's like time consuming, but I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about it because I made one in I've been replaying Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild and I made a risotto in there. It's inspiring. Oh yes, that is a recipe. Yeah, and you yes. know what? Cut pressure cooker. Risotto. I know, I know, but it doesn't That's true, but I feel like there's a satisfaction in the stirring, the constant stirring. The stirring. Well I digress. All right, all right. If we get risotto, Eliana will be happy. So hope for the risotto in Chitigatse. But first, we get back to Chitigatse, and Will is worried. Will says, I'm worried people will be looking for us. And he says that they need to be careful. And we get our first Pan sighting. Pan is floofy and autumnal. And he's all floof, floof. Is he a, what is he, a ferret? Uh, uh, what is he in this, a monkey thing? He's a pabu. <laughs> he's Pabu. He's Pabu from Legend of Korra, who's also my cat, Jaharis. Uh, and there's a good demon presence. I'm going to put it out there that yes. those of you that were disappointed with the demons in season one, not that that, not that that was me. <laughs> I wasn't disappointed with the demons because I'm a loyal bitch. But for those of you I'm that were disappointed, disloyal. you are disloyal. I'm putting it on your grave. Uh, there's oh, a lot no. of... The Golden Monkey, Malice, if you're uh, into the fan name, the semi-canon fan name, Malice. There's a good demon presence of Pan in the monkey. There's some Hester later. I think that there's a significant try for demons, so we'll see. Yeah. Are you happy? Will yeah, you be I happy? Am. I think maybe they just also upped the budget, which good. They deserve it. Oh, yeah, you deserve it. You all deserve it. They're doing great. Give them all the money. So we also get this scene, right, that... uh shoots to either Mrs. Coulter's hand, maybe, with a photo of Lyra in a book. She's also in a Zeppelin in a sexy red dress. Does she ever <laughs> wear not-sexy clothes? No. I mean, maybe she wear at night that... when she takes her clothes off <laughs> and she's just sexy. Movie. She was wearing <sighs> some, like, Negligee. little slip. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> damn, he's coming over. Like, oh, I killed my husband. Just kidding, my lover killed my husband. Uh, I betrayed my daughter. Is... <laughs> and then she makes the face like, oh, as Lyra rushes past, which... <sighs> I'm complex. Uh, Coulter has a scratch pad, right? She has a journal. It looks like a journal with a lot of theorems and writing, likely about dust, likely about... Uh, the theorems and writing of dust. I do boring math, like multiplication, division over and over again for hours at my job. I don't do the bright kind of math. So thankfully, Eliana has done a little analysis on what we can find here. Yes, I too don't do much math. I got an A in physics in university, so I, <laughs> I was <laughs> proud of one. that. It was, not, it was not the one that was calculus-based, though. Sorry, everyone. Though, my uh, professor was like, you go on to take it. And I was like, I don't feel like doing that. No, I took this because I had to fulfill a requirement. <laughs> anyway, I recruited some of my friends, Fat Walda, whom you might know from our Song of Ice and Fire coverage, and also Zionius, whom you also might know from our Ice and Fire coverage, and also our friend Hamfast42, whom you also might know from the Song of Ice and Fire <laughs> Uh, fandom. So all of them have knowledge about science and physics. And I was like, what is this, friends? Please help me. And so it seems as though the equations here might be related to electrodynamics, or if you will, and borrow dynamics. 
it's not a it's not an actual term in this show. I guess they would just call it what theological experimental theolog- theology. Ooh, hard to say all that. And then so the E in this image is electric field. B probably for the magnetic field. R might be radius, though. Fatwald suggests that it could be deriving field strength, which is interesting, based on what we know on the next page, uh, which is an image of the the severing machine chamber. And then Zionis has suggested that these, and Fatwald did as well, that these might be Maxwell equations, which are differential equations for electric and magnetic fields. Mm. I'm just going to read aloud what Zionis told me, because I don't know how to summarize this well, which is, the left part is dimensionless, whereas the right part has... Mm, I don't know how to read this aloud. Hmm. Dim derivative, maybe? Dimension L yeah. derivative to the fourth fourth derivative? Uh, that, of course, depends on how they define these letters, but they have to use a really weird definition to make the equation corrected. More accurately, above is the electromagnetic wave equation in a vacuum, but they failed to write the minus sign in the B field sign. So I think that no one in the team knows what these equations truly mean. And to be fair, neither do I. I'm just reciting words. I haven't done calculus since high school. I'm not going to fault any of you. And thank you so much. A big thank you to Zionius and Fat Walda and Hamfast for looking at his dark material stuff and helping us break it apart. And I wonder if this is the Rusikov field, maybe, calculations. Uh, in La Belle Sauvage, I won't spoil too much, but we are covering some stuff in La Belle Sauvage about the Rusikov field, right? We're learning about the Rusikov field from Malcolm Polstad and Hannah Relf. And we have this passage... We would like you to turn your attention to another matter. You'll be aware the existence of a Rusikov field implies the existence of a related particle, but so far such a particle has eluded us. When we try measuring one way, our substance evades it and seems to prefer another. But when we try a different way, we have no more success. Uh, Rusikov, of course, the Rusikov field and the phenomenon completely regard dust. So it makes sense to me that maybe this could be those kind of calculations that she is trying to research. The Ruskoff field calculations that have been drafted or trying to research such things. I don't know. It's an idea. Yeah. I mean, we know that Mrs. Coulter is a scholar, so that makes absolute sense. Mm -hmm. She's very learned in all these. And the next page has some interesting text on it, some notes. And I picked out some of the visible words slash phrases that I could see slash felt like actually putting in the effort into (laughs) (laughs) what is the the lines i'll just read them aloud to all of you are stanislaus grumman's work intersect could hypothetically first and alter no find and alter scope there's a word that begins the letter f and i could not decipher it we have the word methodology and then again on the diagram we see what looks like the chamber for severing and then we have a note pointing to it saying blade of manganese titanium alloy mm. and then on the very next page we see things that say required and baric however breach and then of course we have Lyra's picture which like I mean all these things make sense these are all the things that went together in the very last moments of the previous season oh it's stolen research it's oh, Asriel's right. research. She, the she stole the she? research. She yeah, did. she told his servant, remember? She said, yes. I'm taking the... Re- it's Asriel's research. Duh, there you go. This yes. is Asriel's research. He was researching Stanislaus Grumman, and he used Stanislaus... 
he used Stanislaus Grumman. It's hard to say. Say it ten times fast. Uh, he used him. Okay, yes. don't actually. Uh, <laughs> he used him, though, with the hat, right, as we know. And yes. that was Lyra's big, like, aha. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's what they're going to, that's the whole point of the season. Because they're going to learn that he used the head, but it wasn't actually Stanislaus Grumman's head. It was a fake head or whatever. It was Tyrion's head. Wait, wrong series. Okay. We get this beautiful view of the Magisterium, but something is so different in this view of the Magisterium. And I almost didn't notice. I was like, something looks different. And I can't figure it out until I realized there's like a bajillion zeppelins in the sky hovering over the Magisterium. And we get the scene, the Magisterium is basically claiming witches have been conspiring against them. And then it shoots to Coulter, torturing the witch from the very first uh, chapters of the book. And her demon disappears as she dies. The golden monkey is there. So this is war, right? Like we have Zeppelins above the Magisterium. Coulter's walking down a hallway in this scandalous black little power skirt suit thing. McPhail says they must take control of this new world, announcing it to the other people of the Magisterium. Calvinization much. Uh, (sighs) White men got a new world, I guess. Low, our friend Low, we talk about. Bless their heart all the time. They have an essay and it's awesome. It's about colonization, his dark materials. Check it out. We'll link it. The Magisterium, though, with these Zeppelins, this is war. This is like a crusade. It's a crusade. They're leading a crusade. That's what the announcement of this is. They literally, he has a gavel and he hits his gavel like he's passing a notion, which I think we're going to see a lot of law begin to come up in this series. I think that's a good point. That's definitely what they're doing here, a crusade. And I we are not going to cite low any less than three times in per this episode. episode. Yeah, maybe per Per episode. episode. No <laughs> fewer. <laughs> in fact, we actually analyzed Lowe's works. That's that's the <laughs> podcast, not his work materials. But uh. yes, and I definitely thought that was interesting that their language there was much more colonization based of like uh, we're going to, you know, take over, and then and the usage of the word "new world," which of course definitely evokes that same idea, and yes, feels very, very European, which is interesting. It, it speaks to their need to control, and I think uh, I, I would say that the architecture of the Magisterium does that as well, oh. especially in contrast to the architecture of the Torre Deli Angeli, right? Because the Torre mm-hmm. De- Deli Angeli is so vertical, it speaks to this kind of desire to try and reach the heavens, reach knowledge, that that was the way that they were trying to go in terms of godhood, whereas here the Magisterium is interested in expansion, right? The Magisterium... Wide and flat. Wide yeah, and flat. It, it's yes. much more horizontal, and it's more about taking over land taking being spreading. a presence yes spreading it's spreading so. oh that's so great and even like even in the outfits like they're wearing those crisp black robes and it's yes. order it's order and uh coulter is like the one thing that's different here coulter walks across the scene right after this right and she is in a black power skirt suit with feathers across the shoulders and in a way it's very uh, very much so like the witches you and I were just discussing is that it's very in contrast to the witches because we're about to get into some of this witch discussion because it seems like there's some witch hunting legally that's about to happen uh, which is a little different than the books not a, not a lot different but just a little more intense we'll talk about it but also the feathers and the silver that is all kind of embroidered into this jacket that Carolyn McCall did an amazing job on like amazing job from her team and 
it looks kind of like armor. The witches' outfits yes. also have this armor look to it, and this looks kind of like a dark angel, almost like an angel, right? She has these feathers, and we do get angels, like we said later on. We don't know yet, but we know we get them. She looks we kind know. of like we know, we know. She kind of looks like a a fallen angel, yes. Ah, uh, you know, because she later falls from grace. Yes, she with does. Metatron. Yeah. With Metatron, but also uh, in terms of and attack Asriel. and dethrone God. Yeah. So I, I think all that Metatrons are, really are bad. <laughs> Hashtag yes, all Metatrons. Amab. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyways, so I think that's a fantastic. Uh, that's a fantastic look at the the clothing. I mean, they, there's a lot that we can say about the clothing, and honestly, I think. Something that I've just been impressed with so far with the trailer, but even with the first season, as we've called out with things like Boreal, like there's a lot of really strong visual language in the cinematography, and that's mm-hmm. that's important. You know, people think that things are only just like the writing or the script, right? But that's part of, for example, I'm gonna say uh, Spider Verse, one of the greatest movies, yes, ever which I think is so good and so strong because it leans heavily into the visual language. And the visual language is so good in His Dark Materials. Yeah, they nailed it. Uh, This trailer alone, and I know you and I were discussing, like, did they give up too much? And maybe it's just because we know the books, you know? So I think it's, like, not too much. And also, people are hungry, okay? People are starved for content. People are like, give me my His Dark Materials. Pandemic sucks, which it does. And I agree. So you know what? Two minutes, and we already know the plot, so I guess whatever. Yeah, I thought that they kind of gave everything away, but when I, <laughs> you know, when you and I were talking, we realized that they left out a couple of things that we know, like they left mm-hmm. out the people dying, or the, as you said, the, the last trailers. The last trailers were not uh, as less. The last trailers were worse spoiler, in my opinion, because oh. you have like Lee on the edge of death. You know what I mean? Like, that trailer, I was like, oh, so we're just exploring the entire scene before Lee dies, huh? There's his rifle. There's his gun. Like, But we know that because we read the books. Because I was trying to figure out what's the perspective from someone who doesn't remember them as well. And my partner who who did read the books uh, feels that it did give a lot away, but I don't know actually how much he remembers, so. I guess we'll never know because we read the books. Yeah, it's hard It's hard to feel other th- feelings. <laughs> well, as we move along, we see mountains and we see sky. And Father McPhail, emphasis on the fail, is there. And he tells Coulter to find the child. Coulter says she's in another world entirely. Looking a little distraught about that, by the way. She's like, oh, shit. And she's wearing her cranberry power skirt suit while her monkey looks on. Yes, and... I thought that this was interesting because I caught something similar. I don't know. It, we, we pay attention to clothes. We like clothes. <laughs> so right before Mrs. Coulter says that Lyra is in another world entirely, we actually cut briefly to Lyra in like a poncho-like thing or cape, little cape-like thing. I don't know what people call things. I just like wearing clothes. Turns out I don't actually know terminology. And I wanted to say that that... That piece, it's really interesting in the context of the story because it's got this like varicolored knitted crocheted. I was hoping that Chloe would actually know and <laughs> it looked like it was crocheted. crocheted. It, it did. Crocheted. There we go. Just go with crocheted. Crocheted. 
thing with these striated like bands of that that color right and it goes so well again with that imagery the visuals in the trailer of those stripes the 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 worlds collapsing into the the multiple worlds and universes collapsing into stripes and in the opening credits overlapping and i think that those striations of color right really kind of resemble that in a way and also it's it's kind of a rainbow, right? Which, as we see in this trailer, is going to be used to denote that tear between worlds because we see it in this trailer! Wow! Amazing! That's so well thought out, and Carolyn McCall is amazing. Like, her team does an amazing job. I listened to the Her Dark Materials interview, and she couldn't give a lot away about season two, but she was like, oh, I I got some stuff for you coming, and she is feeding us. These are really thought out costumes. She pays attention to the environment. She pays attention to what the character is doing. Uh, and we don't see a lot of Lyra blue going on in this trailer, right? Have you seen a lot of blue on Lyra? Because seen, do you remember last season? Only only in the pants. Not a lot of like pure blue. The pants underneath this poncho, she's wearing a uh, sky blue. Sky blue. But sh- remember when she was wearing the blue dress last season with Coulter? Yeah, that was an interesting... We're not seeing pure blue or shiny. We're seeing very matte. Yeah. We're seeing a very matte Lyra. She's a lot like her mother, but not, you know? Yeah, she's wearing a a lot of reds and pinks, too. I'm seeing a lot of, like, duller reds and pinks in the outfits or warmer colors, duller warm. And I think that's great. Yeah. Um, I'll finish my drink, shit. (laughs) <laughs> I just thought that everyone needed to know that alongside me. It's okay, What's Eliana, fun? because for you, we're going to do, we're going to have a drink in your honor well, on my side of the camera. so <laughs> giving. I'm just, you know, being destitute here without a drink. Uh, just like Lee Scoresby, right? Looking pretty beat up in a canoe next to Hester, or with Hester, uh, while Joe Pari tells him that he's a long way from home amazing it felt almost like a labelle sauvage moment mm. with the canoe with him jetting off in the canoe with hester with his demon at the head of the canoe it was very exciting and we actually get a view where they're heading the uh the island of the trees where they're about to get smoked in and out of and where lee unfortunately meets his demise and Joe Pari is fingering, it looks like the Navajo ring. He has some tribal body art. His hood is up. It has some interesting embroidery on the hood. I want to get a better look at it, I guess, when the season starts in a month. But interesting angle. It's kind of like a spooky, like, here's a dude with his hood up angle, and I'm fingering the the ring and their shadows. Since it's their first meeting, slash when Lee gets to him, and the canoe seems to be his trip there since he leaves his balloon in the depot. I- I'm interested to see how it goes, but that must be the first moment Lee meets him. Yeah, it, it definitely feels that way, especially the way he's framed and everything, like, hello, and he's leaning against the doorway, like, hello, Lee. Um, but his clothing, also, it, it's interesting. It seems to be as though it's trying to evoke all those things you said in terms of that tribal body art, etc. He's, like, wearing a jacket, that seems to be made out of, I, I want to say it's called, like, sarape, and that's, mm-hmm. like, a blanket-like shawl that's worn by men in Mexico, but it, it's not the actual shawl. It's, like, a jacket that looks to be made out of a similar material. Yeah, it's in the style of, which I think is interesting. I want to see, I guess I just really want to see the textures up close again. I want to yeah, see them HD on a TV screen is what I want to see, you know, but I think the month. woven factor, in a month, in a month. 
on HBO, but the woven factor of Lyra's poncho is similar to what he's wearing here in a way. Yes. Like there's some woven factors. And I think that's interesting. Got to bring in textures with your fashion, you know? And I think it looks like wow. Joe Pari is a pretty, actually both Joe Pari <laughs> and Lee Scorsby had incredible fashion as mm-hmm. well. Very stylish. And I will add before we move on from here that it is Hispanic Heritage Month. So maybe they didn't plan it, but maybe they were looking for some of those elements. I don't know, but I feel like we get to celebrate that. We get to celebrate that. Celebrate that. I can't speak. We get to celebrate that tonight because it is very interesting elements. I kind of want to see what I can pull up now about some of kind of more of the shamanism in that culture. Yeah. Lee Scoresby tells Jopari that he's heard of his powers and is looking for a girl named Lyra, and then Jopari, I'm sorry, I mean John Perry, we've just been saying his name wrong this whole time, uh, tells him that he will need a knife. Yeah, and we get this shot, oh, it is so, this is a crazy couple handful of shots, right? It's very filmed well, so we're going to slow it down for a second, because while he says this, then we see the shot of the subtle knife being forged, possibly. Uh, We see it enter and get hot and heat up, and you see the shape of it, and it feels like a flashback memory. I'm kind of interested in that. Is it a story being told from, you know, Jopari or from Giacomo? I imagine that Giacomo Paradisi will actually be telling the story since we get to see him in a few, but the forge specifically seems to be a vision of sorts, whether it's a backstory by flashback or whether it's from the alethiometer and Lyra looking it up in her little brain. I'm interested to see how they implement that. Yeah, I'm most excited to hear Mr. Paradisi. And... Yeah, so I'm actually just going to call this out. If you hear some some door stuff, remember how, how earlier I disclosed that I ran out of beverage. My partner is, in <laughs> fact, an angel and is going to get me more beverage. Do you think he's a Baruch or a Balthamos? Baruch. I was going to say, like, would you be dead or would he be dead? Who dies? I don't know. I'm not sure. Mm. I don't have faith in me. I'm going to throw that out there. <laughs> I guess we'll just find out as we go along. Huh? In life. I mean... <laughs> I'm along for the ride. So, I was going to tell everyone about uh, how long-lived his family is, and it's less long-lived than mine. But turns out no one needs that. But I've already disclosed it to all of you. You know what? You know what we should disclose? We should disclose some of the imagery, so, so some of the design on the subtle knife the actual subtle knife oh my god it's so amazing i like have so uh, the shot we get so the way that this is shot it's like or edited i should say the way this is edited because this is shot in many different ways it's edited together in some quick succession that joe pari is saying things about the knife and we're learning about the knife which is what leads me to believe that giacomo paradisi is the one that's actually Mr. Paradisi is telling us about the guild like he does in the books and giving us the backstory of the guild of the Tori. I have to prepare myself. The guild of the Tori de Angeli. And Michael VK, who is the creator of the knife, right? Like he is the head of the prop design on his dark materials. A round of applause for him because the hilt of this knight 
this knife is gorgeous. This hilt is just beautiful. It's a dark wood with an angel inlaid in some sort of metal. It could be the metal alloy, the magnesium alloy, if I want to get crazy, or it could be gold. It kind of looks like a bronze gold. And it's really impressive because it is just these straight lines that feed just like the direction in relation to the tower's architecture. It just has these sharp points, these sharp angle, angels, angles, angels, I'm there, has sharp angles and it's gorgeous. Yes, it does have beautiful angles. And by angles, maybe we also mean angels. <laughs> also, my drink got refilled. Angels. And I never really thought about it, right? Like, the, the knife is described as quite nondescript in the books, but I never really thought about what does it really look like. And I think that Michael VK has done a great job of bringing this to life. And the angel on the hilt actually made me think more on, like, some of the history of it that we aren't given per se. Mm. Like, we, we're told quite a bit of, like, the history of the knife and its effect on Shiragaze. But, like, I mean, if I'm gonna go tinfoil here for a second, like, did angels have a role in creating the knife, right? Especially the ones that were, mm. like, attack and dethrone God. I'm never gonna get over this phrase. And the way that this <laughs> angel looks, right, there's, like, this light streaming out from behind its wings, almost like a star. Like, I don't know, Lucifer Morningstar, maybe, or Satan, the fallen angel who's like, yeah, we, sh we, we should kill God because, uh, you know, Paradise Lost is, of course, very much about Satan, and this story is inspired by Paradise Lost. So I think that there's a lot in this hilt that feels fitting for the story that I, I, I wouldn't have thought to invoke. Even the way, like, you've been discussing how the threads on the poncho come together. Yeah. Uh, the way that it twists, you can see that it's two metals, like the two alloys that are in the magnesium alloy. And it's twisted like two things are surrounding each other, which, of course, this season especially is all about Will and Lyra's stories and how their lines entangle. Uh, of course, the third season and the third book, wow. if they correlate enough, will be similar to that. But, yes, exactly right. They just wrap around each other and... My it's not hurts. like the metals are combined. It, it's like when you learn about a compound versus a mixture, right? Like mixtures you can se separate. Mixtures can mm -hmm. be severed. Demon uh, and human is not a mixture. Demon and human is a compound, but a person and a person in a relationship seems to be a mixture, as we know. Yeah, and, and uh, the, the twisting also now that you say kind of reminds me of the double helix then of uh, yeah. DNA. I don't know that that's like... Actually, maybe we brought that up at one point. I don't remember regarding the, the knife and the tower. That might be why that's in the back of my head. But the twist, it feels right. It feels right. So good work, Eliana. Good yep. work, Michael VK. Good work, prop team, science division of His Dark Materials, including Mary Malone. Good work for all of you. Next up, Will is lifting the knife. And this is, this is a scene most pleasing to my career. As I watched this, I was flipping out. So the next shot that comes in succession of this fast shot that me and Eliana are going on about is Will lifting the knife and Joe Pari then speaks to Lee, flashes back, and he says, one that could slice through worlds. And then Will does that. He does this in front of us. He does the unspeakable. Oh my God. Will is cutting holes in time. He's cutting through the fabric of time. He's walking through worlds. We see him walk through worlds. They straight up cut the hole. They cut it on the screen in front of us and you see it open and you see another world in the hole. He does the thing. He yes. does. Julie do the thing. That's what Will does. Do the thing. That world is way too bad. You need to cut it. 
<laughs> I was trying to figure out how I was going to work that. It wasn't in there. good. I it's... wish it was better. I'm sorry. So do but I. I believe in you. I believe in you. I'm, I just this is the. I don't get multiple takes. You know, we only get one <laughs> shot. And I miss my chance. So, uh, listen, Terrence Stamp is Mr. Paradisi, and he. Giacomo Paradisi, and he is a legend. We all know Terrence Stamp. He's been in everything. He's General Zod in Superman, Superman 2 in the 80s, uh, director's cut later on, Edgar Poe in Blackout, Jack Schmidt in Real McCoy. He's been in Star Wars. He's been in Electra. He's been in everything. He's a legendary actor. So him playing Giacomo and giving us this beautiful tale of the magpie city, Chitigatse, it's so sad and so beautiful and so old, and I think it's a perfect role. I can't wait to see what he brings us because it's like, you know it won't be bad. There's no way it could be less than zero, fewer than zero. So, like, you know Terrence Stamp is going to knock it out of the park. That's yeah. all. I wonder if they're going to keep him around, too, for a couple of episodes so it's super sad. But, like, you know, we, we might see the twist, right, in the, in the subtle knife, but we don't see the twist in some of the story. Like, how... Giacomo's gonna probably die. I I, I kind of hope they make me more sad. I, I was pretty sad when he died, so. And I'm gonna sound pretty, uh, I, yeah, I'm pretty excited that we have Hester here. She's present with Lee and Jopari, who pack up in camp and get going, and Jopari says, leave the wind to me, and Lee and Hester look like they have a joyride. Actually, looks pretty bumpy. It does look a little bumpy, but he looks like he's having fun. And I'm excited to have Cristela Alonso, who's an actress and yes. comedian. She's hysterical. Please check out her specials because I think they're online. They might be, is it Netflix? I think it's Netflix. She's funny as hell. But she's returning as Hester. Couldn't be more excited because she's saucy and sassy. And some people might not like Lee uh, Scoresby's actor, Lin-Manuel Miranda of Hamilton fame and In the Heights, but... Good news for them. Their suffering is over soon because <laughs> he dies. Uh, no, I'm just kidding, but I do like him. I think he plays a good Once Upon a Time in the North, Lee, a newer yeah. retelling, and I think it's fun. And we can't just have the same actor. Everyone wants Sam Elliott back, and I love Sam Elliott. And he's great on Grace he, and Frankie. Watch Grace and Frankie. I mean, he's just good in general, right? He's good yeah, in that. Absolutely. He, he's great in uh, what? A Star is Born. Yeah. Uh, which I was like, damn, I, I kind of had an idea where that was going. Tore my heart out anyway, but yeah. <laughs> Christella also, you know, she seems like really excited to be playing Hester. So while everyone else, if you don't like this, Lee, your suffering's almost over. Just be, just know that uh, Chloe's suffering is about to begin. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm ready. <laughs> well, I'm not the only person though, because Joe Pari's suffering is about to begin too. I'm just saying, his uh, end end. It's gonna end. It's gonna end too. Soon but his <laughs> he lets a feather go in the wind. The balloon flies away. While Ruta Scotty tells us the child will bring the end of the great war. Yeah, honestly, I'm. I, we've said it before in some of the previous episodes that we've done of this, and again, check those out. We go into a lot of depth with the scenes that have already been covered in this episode, but hoping that Ruta Scotty gets more flushed out, but in this trailer, we don't see the angels as we've said, and it's been intimated from a lot of the visuals from the Tori Della Anjali, which I'm always gonna have a hard time saying. The statue's there, the knife, the knife's hilt, um, and the feather in the wind here with Jopari. I feel like that's kind of a sort of imagery that evokes that as well, and I think that 
you know, we know what happens in the books, but this is something that they haven't given away because they've, they're playing up that war aspect and mostly through the Magisterium, but they're not really playing up that sort of re- literally religious war, right, uh, between universal beings quite yet. And also, interestingly, I will say that here in this close-up when Jopari lets go of the feather, and maybe this will be part of the emotional aspect of that scene when it plays out, but we actually get a close-up of Jopari's wedding ring. He still has it all these years later. Do we? On his hand? Wow, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Wow, and that's going to be great for when he gets murdered by a witch. Anyways. For not (laughs) shooting. It's uh, he didn't. Okay, I trust him. We talked about this in our yeah. subtle knife ending. That maybe I trust him now. Okay, we see Lyra, and she is standing against the Tour de Liangeli, and then tons of zeppelins are across the sky, littering across the sky. And we move over to the witches, who are looking up, maybe at an incoming threat. And I'm very excited about this. We have four witches that are prominent witches in the season so far. I think. One of the women in the shot we get right here is going to be Huda Kamenin at the end of the plot. It looks like Sasha Frost, who Ruta Gadmitas, which Ruta Gadmitas is the name of Serafina's actress. Keep up because there's two Rudas. Jade Anuka is Ruta Scotty. They've been taking photos on Instagram, hanging out, posting stories. And Remy Milner has been with them, who's been cast as Lena Feltz. So Huda Kamenin feels about right for Sasha Frost. Must be really confusing with the whole Serafina being Ruta and then Ruta being Ruta. But the costumes are awesome. Uh, These witch costumes, I think I mentioned it vaguely last time, but they are amazing. They look like armor. They are just full scale male armor and environmental. And uh, there's a BBC Extra interview from season one where Ruta Gamina Serafina's actress was discussing they look like they burst from the earth in their wisps of green clothing. But this season, it's sturdier. It, it serves as war, like I said, war armor. But environmentally speaking, they have to have a sturdy dress to hide the harness when they fly. And there's a lot of flying going on in this trailer. There's a lot of barreling toward the ground and flying this way and flying that. So I think these costumes, these dresses are really strong. They still work and they're dark. They're in mourning for the world, but they're also war. Yeah, and they're also dark because they're spoopy and they're witches. Ooh, it's October. It's October. Sir, <laughs> <laughs> you know, as as we said, we have this scene with the witch steps towards Ruda, who says, "It's time to unite and destroy the Magisterium." Interesting that uh, mm-hmm. I, they play it that way, and maybe they're gonna always just use the Magisterium as a stand-in for God <laughs> the entire <gasps> time instead of actually saying Wait. God <laughs> attack and dethrone <gasps> the Magisterium. <laughs> Doesn't have the same ring to it. Not as smooth. But Father McPhail is here once again to fail to McPhail. And he's rolling a high explosive down the train while he talks. He says, stop this threat. Sacrifice whatever it takes. And the bombs continue rolling on the screen. And later we see it get thrown out of a zeppelin to burn out the forest. To burn down the forest as Lee and Joe Pari are in it. And then we get a shot of Lyra in a cave, sobbing, clutching something, pan, maybe, to her chest as the rain pours down. There's a big focus on this explosive, which, by the way, says, High Explosive, Naphtha Area, Incendiary. And it has some numbers on it of its container and its lot number, its serial number, and an inspection. But there's a big focus on it, which makes me think, is this foreshadowing for Season 3's bomb? 
Oh, that's interesting. And also, I, we also talk quite a bit about naphtha in one of our subtle knife episodes. And you know, if we were better people, we'd tell you exactly which one it is. <laughs> you might just have to listen to all of them. Also, Father McPhail, whatever it takes. I know I can make it through. And it's not that many, honestly. Whatever it takes. It's like eight, nine. I know I can make it through. Degrassi, yeah. uh, uh, oh. but his dark materials. <laughs> it could actually work. It could work. Um, is she Emma or is she Manny or is she both? I'm going to have to think more deeply about hmm. this. Uh, as deeply as, you know, no, more deeply as this scene of the forest and the Alamo Gulch. It goes up in flames as a magisterium attempts to smoke out Joe Pari and Lee and wow. the witches look on at the flames. They're gasping. Smoke is rolling in the background. It's just woof, woof. And we got like sound effects like boom, boom. They're doing something really interesting with witch politics that I think we're going to talk a lot more about when it happens. And you are not there in the secret commonwealth yet. And it's not a big spoiler, but I do want you to know that I think there's something connected here. The witches are going to have an expanded role in the magisterium plot. It looks like these witches have just missed saving Lee from what's happening here. And this kind of supports that idea of Yorick, right, showing up. Uh, And maybe I'm thinking we might get that first chapter, like I said, for Seraphine and Yorick with a goodbye to Lee. I think Lin-Manuel Miranda's goodbye is going to be in season two. He'll come back in season three as a ghosty spirit, but I think it helps clear that part of season three. I love the bookend feeling when we start the third book and the first chapter is that it's a saxifrage. It's a sad Arctic flower. It's Seraphina mourning for Lee and bringing Yorick back. But I, I love the bookend factor of that and Lyra doing the whole spirit freeing. But I think at the same time, putting a bookend on this season might be nice. It might be nice to have Lin-Manuel's funeral in this season instead of in the next season. You know what I mean? And also, will I handle this emotionally? I don't know. All of you have to just stay tuned. But yes, absolutely. It it does have that same feel of like, yeah, this is it. This is uh, them being like, fuck. (laughs) Fuck. We didn't get there in time. But also, is it kind of Lee's fault? Not not saying like it's his fault, but just saying like, he like was like, oh shit, I have this flower. Damn it, I should have called her earlier. She was on speed dial, but anyway. But wait, did she give him the flower? Am I making that up? She didn't give him the flower in the show, did she? So it doesn't matter. It doesn't fucking matter. Because she didn't give him the saxifrage. It's not a real thing. So it doesn't matter because she can literally... That's the whole... Oh, shit. I forgot about this. I forgot this isn't in the show that she didn't give him a flower. Though they did flirt. But they are still still in the same place as far as we know in the show. It left off with them in the same place. So she could have still given it to him. And then that would make a good arc right within the same season. Like you're like, oh, that thing that happened in one of the first episodes comes back. I won't be upset if it doesn't happen. You know what I mean? But that would be a good bookend. That would be a great great bookend if it starts with her leaving him and doing that so we'll see i'll reserve my judgments i'm not picky i I think it's still the best adaptation we could get of anything ever but i'm not wedded to it i know it it means a lot to you and it but i'm not i'm not wedded to the flower i'm an adult eliana so i can get over it when my favorite fictional couples don't actually get together okay that's all i'm saying and i do want to say 
that like there's a thing in the secret commonwealth that I won't go into detail or spoil, but there are laws that are being undone and redone in certain ways, right? Like when a politician wants something, they change the law, right? They make it happen. If they have power, they make it happen. And I wonder if that's what happening is happening with the witches in this. Like they are putting laws against the witches and making the witches versus magisterium a huge plot, which I think is important. It gives it more of a focus because before that, as we've discussed in our Subtle Knife episodes, Ruta Scotty, unfortunately, has a one-dick motive, and it's Asriel's. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I'm I'm really excited. That's one of the things that I'm most excited for in this season. Oh, same. Flushing out of Ruta Scotty as, like, a whole person with motivations that aren't just dick. And I mean, dick can be a motivation, but it's sure. not women's, and definitely not, like, a fucking centuries-old witch's only motivation. So Been there, done that, right? Like That's a thing that you do for, like, two years. Literally. This woman's lived, like, fucking... She has literally been there, done that, Eliana. She has ridden this cock before. It's like, it's not, I'm sorry if this is grotesque to you, but it's just like, she's already done it. Like, if it's that good, good. But I feel like a relationship like that needs some buildup, you know, LDR. You got to do some texts. You got to get that going again. It can't be that good. Yeah. And I I know that uh, Her Dark Materials has a different take on this that is also also good. So, um check them out and also regarding the witch politics you know they seem to be removing some of the the messiness of the politics in terms of in the books we have some of the witches that are on the side of lyra and destroying uh the 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 authority as it's actually called not the magisterium within the books uh to refer to god and they also have witches who are supporting the authority and the magisterium. So it seems like they're kind of just folding all the witches into one another. Um, and that's something that uh, I, I low helped point out too of like, isn't it weird or interesting that the magisterium said that because it seems like, yeah, they're flattening all of those characters and motivations together. Mm-hmm. It does seem like that in a way it does. Which I mean, it makes sense. You know, some of them wanted chaos, which also makes sense for witches, but you know, you gotta you gotta make things interesting for a show, and absolutely, absolutely, gotta keep our attention. And I'm fine with that. You know what? I've been through an adaptation where I wanted everything perfect. I no longer have rules. You give it to me, I'll accept it. Let's go, baby. Let's go. It, it wasn't even close to perfect, but anyways, once you once you go through a one bad HBO adaptation, all the good ones that are just like good are better than good. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, this is heaven. I'm in heaven. I am not going to attack and dethrone God because I have this gorgeous view of Chitigatse from this trailer. You get this another beautiful view. There's island rock built up around it. It's gorgeous and Mediterranean. And then we get Boreal who opens his door. It looks very, uh, it's like a red burntish wood. He's looking mighty fine, might I say, and evil. Right, like he's looking like totally like a hot evil villain, and he's like, I've found her, she's in another world. And the camera pans from him to Will and Lyra and Chitigatse, and then back to Boreal and Coulter. The Boreal Coulter part of this little back and forth that goes on is obviously when Coulter is with him at his house while Will and Lyra are trying to get the alethiometer back. But the first clip looks like daytime. It looks like a different time. Perhaps they get to his house looking for the alethiometer during daytime hours. Yeah, and I, I'm just going to say, 
I know we already discussed it. We already had the scene before, but I'm always here for Boreal and doors and opening windows. And, you know, we're mourning already preemptively the loss of Lee Scoresby. And I never thought that I would say this, but I am mourning the loss of Lord Boreal. Like, Arin Bakare's performance of Lord Boreal has brought dimensions to him that, like, I didn't know that I could think that this character was so compelling. And also, yeah. back then, you know, you read the books and you're like, oh, Mrs. Coulter was involved with Lord Boreal. And you're like, him? And then, but then you see Aryan Bakari and you're like, oh yeah, him. He is a beautiful man and he plays evil very well. And like, I get it. I get it. And he does a great job. And I am very much going to be saddened by his loss as well. And that's another thought. Uh, we have to see that this season at the very end, right? Like Boreal dead poison somewhere. Can't gonna, wait. I hope, I hope it's really satisfying. That's I think that it'll be fleeting, but good. That wasn't No, that's away. true. That's true. So Boreal explains that Chitagatse has been plagued by specters, and we see a specter fly out of the tower, and then we then meet Tulio in an alley, who is soon to be very plagued by specters, if you catch my drift. It shoots over to Lyra, who's near Will, and says, we're not safe here, and then we watch Tulio be eaten by specters. Ah! Awful. So sad. Oh my god. Poor kid. I feel bad for Tulio. I really do. I do. And and all the other kids in Shinigaze. Angelica, Paula. I mean, you and Shit. I talked extensively about Lord of the Flies and how it applies to them, but it's sad. It's just sad. They didn't have the same chance as other kids. Yeah. And soon after the scene, we get Marissa stepping through a window as Boreal looks ah! on. And it's an interesting scene, right? She's stepping from one dead garden into another dead garden. It looks like, or a dark one, which is, I think, quite important in the story that's very much about the Garden of Eden. But also, I love the way that these are all composed, because you have the specters, right? Those are representing the danger, and also, I think, of the chuckles, haha, I'm in danger, meme. <laughs> when I'm in says, danger. we are not safe here. <laughs> yeah. But because of Mrs. Coulter stepping through in that moment very soon after uh, with the specters, there's almost this like really great implication that she's the threat of why Lyra and Will are in danger. <laughs> oh, I love it. I think it's like the, the fact that she, when, when Coulter, it's like the queen making a move across the chessboard. Right? Huh. Like, it's like when the pawn crosses the chessboard, when she goes through that window, Cheating. you're like, oh shit, it's real. Coulter is in our world. She is the queen in the world again, and I can't wait to see that. But interestingly enough, she doesn't seem to be in control from all those scenes with the Magisterium, as we've seen, and we know that Coulter is getting desperate, so we'll see how that goes. But shot of the tower, again, beautiful, gorgeous shooting. Shoots straight up, draws your eye. I love that point. And Lyra and Chitigatze says, she thinks she's changing. They both are. Spectres appear behind Will. He can't hear us. His ear pods are in. His ear pods are in. Oh, no. Someone tell Will the specters behind him. It's forming to strike. Uh, in the books, I think it's described that they were on the verge of Will, right? Like, there's a very light couple lines that describe that, like, oh, they're eyeing him. They're hungry. Because he's borderline puberty. And in this moment, you see that in the visual. It's very well connected. And they're bringing up Lyra's puberty as well, and that she's changing. And I will say, they're getting older. I saw a picture of Will's actor the other day. And he is a very sweet boy, very cute, but he's getting older. 
They're becoming older. They're going to be old kids for season three, maybe season four. I don't know. Give us a season four. We don't know. Uh, and I think it's good, though. This this is good to keep us involved that Lyra's like, I'm changing because that keeps us ready for season three that her and Will are about to make the fuck out, I guess. And we don't get those interior thoughts. So I think you have to give us that. Yeah. And I mean, also, you just can't control when humans have their growth spurts. And like, Amir Wilson's at that age. And when they want to make out, I'm just saying, I mean, I wanted to make out at 14. No one wanted to make out with me at 14. <laughs> but, yeah, as you said, and and it, it's, they're pointing that out, and the trailers, again, they're, they do a good job here. It's quite well done, the composition, because it, I think the last time that we covered the trailers, it was about, like, the new world, etc., and, and the war. I mean, they're all about the war, right? But here Lyra's line of, like, we're changing, right? Or, or I, I don't remember the exact line, but it goes well with the opening for this trailer, which is about the world changing. And it gives mm-hmm. that great connection between them that the world's changing is linked to Lyra and Will themselves also yes. changing. It's evolution. It's that, and, and like the fate of all of these worlds, right? It's tied to both of them. That's that's what it was. The fate of the worlds. That was uh, the the I think thread yeah, for the, the previous whole. trailers. Um, also and about people changing. Everyone check out the Hulu show Pen Fifteen. Puberty <laughs> in the two thousands. Yes, and um, I would say that like again, it comes to that thought, like you said about Lyra's poncho of these threads coming mm. together. Whoa! Yes, everyone's threads. changing, and things are coming together, and. Things change after they come together. And we then get this shot of Lyra. This is a weird couple shots. Lyra walks through vegetation and then we see Coulter and she looks kind of angry at first, kind of upset and disheveled. And she says she's telling someone, which might be Lyra, which is weird. You are so like I was. And she smiles very bitterly. So there's two threads of thought. She's either talking to an angel or sorry, a witch, not an angel, a witch at this point and torturing the witch from the beginning. Or she could be talking to Lyra because the bitter smile was interesting and she looks disheveled. She looks oddly disheveled. Usually her hair is down in these gorgeous curls and she's so composed and she's hard, right, like granite. And here she's wearing her cranberry power suit skirt dress like she wears, but Timeline-wise, that makes me think she leaves in the Zeppelin to chase after all this and is wearing the cranberry suit, and her hair is pulled back. It's severe. She looks austere. This could be her and Lyra interacting while Will and Joe Pari are meeting. Maybe it's an off-the-page thing. I don't know if it is, but it's just weird. She looks very strained, very upset. It's not something I can place from the books. Yeah, now that you say that, I, I feel the same. And actually, some of the other possibilities that you brought up made me think that it could be a misdirect. I think that we I think want that to too. think that it's her with Lyra. But as you said, it could be definitely her with someone else. Because I think, I mean, like, it, it for those of us who have read the books, it feels like so many of the plot points that we know have been hit by this trailer. But obviously, they're leaving some twists. And they've been giving Ruth Wilson a much bigger role, so... Yeah, no, absolutely. And I know they're going to remix a few things, but I do know they're staying faithful for the most part. So that's why I'm like, this is a crazy tinfoil theory. But I think it's a she good does. Theory. She looks like she's talking to Lyra. She really does. And yeah, and, and, and the way you said that, that's why I'm like, oh, I'm being played. 
I don't know. I'm being, pl- you're right. We're being played. We're being, well, we'll find out soon. We will find out soon. Ugh, so I'm not month. too mad. It's so much closer than I thought it was. <sighs> it's going to be, we're going to be so busy into this show. We'll find out soon. I can't be mad. I'll forget about it in a day. Cause I'll be thinking about so many other things, especially oh, like I'll be thinking of fever dream. Joe Pari. Oh my God. John Perry looks like your sleep paralysis demon here. While sparks are flying. Lee is staring at him and Lee's like, I'm sweaty. I'm confused. And you look like a sleep paralysis demon. It's wild. It's wild. Yeah. Uh, John Pari, uh, hot priest in Flashback. <laughs> and his demon. His demon, um, his name I forgot because I'm horrible. Uh, Lyra tells Will it's time to fight it. While someone, a witch, a specter, plummets slash soars towards the earth. Witches fight the Magisterium on a Zeppelin in the next shot, so it's likely a witch. (laughs) um, Sorry, coming back to John Perry. Yes, John Perry, by the way, his demon, it's Phoebe Waller-Bridge, his uh, Fleabag friend. You know this. You watch Fleabag. Yes, that's right. I forgot. I forgot. I was so excited when I found out. And I was just like, what? How could they do that? I mean, like, I love it. But there was like, I can't believe that they would do that for us. I'm going to be honest. It's hard for me to separate Phoebe Waller-Bridge from what's the acoustic artist? Phoebe Bridgers? Phoebe yeah. Waller-Bridge? I don't really yeah. listen to her. It's the same thing, right? Same person? No, it's not. Confused. But I think it is. I get confused sometimes, too, to be honest. I think it is, but I know it's not. I digress. We end up actually getting this shot after the Magisterium, after the Zeppelin. We get, we got Lyra's like, it's time to fight it to Will. A witch? A specter? I don't know. Something plummets towards the earth, and the witches are fighting the Magisterium on a Zeppelin. So it's likely a witch, and the witches are very involved. They're way more involved in this shit. Yes, absolutely. And um, then we see uh, possibly the people we meet in the books on the road. There's a man on the ground who's ravaged by the specter. Yeah, I'm thinking that this is the man and woman who they take one of each gender. They're like, one man, one woman. We're going to guide the children. We're going to Noah's Ark this bullshit. Uh, I think that's what this is. You could see the canoe in the background, though. So I'm like, Uh is this actually from Lee or is this just a random canoe? But there is a lake in that specter scene, right? With the man and woman with children where the man is in the middle of the lake and he's holding his child in the lake. And Serafina goes to help because he loses everything sadly so we'll see what happens but this could actually be the man and the woman that have the children and they're trying to keep them safe from the specters i mean considering how much of a peninsula chitagaza is i think a canoe makes sense yeah japari i mean there's a lake yeah somewhere i mean there's a lot of land yeah to be things john perry and lee look up apprehensively and lee says run and honestly (sighs) the music in this trailer is really good i know it's probably not necessarily indicative of what's in the series but like i was like yeah yeah music amped the next shot is the magisterium and they're armed and we see a wolf demon with them while they point their guns at us slash i'm guessing at lee and joe perry and john parry john perry i'm getting there i'm there Stanislaus Grumman! The golden monkey is screaming in the next shot and someone's legs appear. They look like they're in skinny jeans with some sidewalk surfers, so it looks kind of like Will 
to me with his long skinny legs. I'm guessing it's Will, and it kind of looks like it's in the museum. The monkey oh. is jumping towards some artifacts. So I'm wondering, is this in the museum with Boreal? But Coulter's in the scene. I don't know. Yes, and then we see someone bursting out the window at the Tori Deli Anjali, and we actually saw people uh, on the other side of the window bursting through it in some of the previous mm-hmm. trailers. So now we see them on the ledge, so that's interesting. And then somewhere within this whole sequence, I don't remember exactly where, this whole montage, but there's a shot, uh, an aerial shot of the glacial breakup. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it, it looks like someone might be falling towards it, so it might be during one of those battle scenes. But I do think that it could be an indicator that we're going to get some of what you were saying about Yorick's storyline and that uh, great bear migration. In the next shot, the witches and Lyra are looking very concerned and Will is holding his knife to the sky. I can only imagine that he is fighting the specters. And we get some air balloon action with sweaty Lee. (laughs) He's very sweaty. He must be fever dreaming. Then someone says the greatest war there ever was is coming. I'm pretty sure that's Terrence Stamp. That must be, it sounds like him. It might not be. It might be John Perry. But it sounds like Terrence Stamp to me. Giacomo Paradisi. Mr. Paradisi. Mr. Paradisi. Will we ever stop doing that? I don't know. No, never. We have so many episodes to go. You guys, you have a whole season with us. We're going to say Mr. Paradisi all the time. So get ready. So sorry. No, I'm not. And finally, we arrive on the last shot of the trailer. Very effective. Will and Tulio are wrestling. The subtle knife slams into the ground. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say which of our friends said this, but I did have a friend, a very intelligent friend, that may or may not podcast about his dark materials, who messaged me and said, technically, the knife would have gone to the hilt according to the book, into the ground. But I thought that they a said little. it's a nerdy thing. I thought that yeah. too, but. Nerdy stuff, nerdy stuff, and we don't direct. If we direct it, we'd be very rich, very rich. I'd be loaded. I'd be directing everything. They'd be like, Chloe, will you direct another thing? And I'd be like, no, I have too much money to direct another thing. I'm going to sit on my dump trucks of cash. <laughs> <laughs> right, and uh, so I, I did think of something here, you know, in in the context of the line where you'd like sacrifice whatever is necessary or, or whatever uh, from Father McPhail. Mm. Tulio, one of the sacrifices in this war. And I mean, like, Lyra rests upon it in the books. She's like, that was sad that I just saw Tulio <laughs> get eaten by Spectre. She's like, I guess I won't tell Will right away. But he, he ends up being a sacrifice in this war, right? Maybe we'll talk mm-hmm. about that more when the episode comes. Yeah, there's a lot of sacrificing in this book. You're not wrong there. And I'm sad for Tulio because he is completely, by the end, just taken by it, right? Taken by the power of the knife because power corrupts, as we discuss in our various series that we cover. And I don't know, uh, the actor for Tulio has not been announced, but it almost looks like Oliver Wood. That's what I just keep thinking. I'm like, Oliver Wood, is that you? Are you Tulio? Me and Tulio down by the knife yard. I don't know. Um, <laughs> me and Tulio. Eliana's just running right now in Skype. She's just I'm jogging in place. To... Dancing. Oh, is that dancing? Yes. Hmm. Well, I'm sad for Tulio because we're going to see his demise and see what the knife does to men. 
Yes, it'll it'll be interesting. I'm looking forward. I know we might sound like super positive in this, but also I there's something that I remember. What is it from some point in my life? Maybe it was back when I did tech theater and they're like, people are fucking rooting for you. You know, they want you to do well. They go into this and they want you to do well. Oh, no, that was improv. Oh, improv. No, it's true, too. Improv, everyone. So did I. So, yeah, so people, they go in there, they want you to do well, they're rooting for you, because they want to have a good time, and that's how I feel. I'm like, I I enjoyed season one, and I'm rooting for season two from what I've seen from the trailers, and I'm I'm jazzed. Look, season one was gorgeous. It was beautiful settings, the actors were great, I didn't have any issues with any actors, uh, the props were amazing, the set design's amazing, the costumes are amazing, and even if the plot is good and not great like season one is not i'm not saying it's good not great but it's just like there are moments where i'm like they did what they were supposed to there are moments where i was like they went above and beyond holy shit and there are moments where i was like this is adequate uh there's nothing bad i can say about season one i think all of it's gorgeous and i think season two i think they have a little more budget like you kind of shyly mentioned that and winked at and i think they're going to use that i truly do uh, and I only hope that this season is so badass that we can pump the shit out of it, that we all can watch it and say, go His Dark Materials, go His Dark Materials team, because they are bringing this shit to life. It's gorgeous. And next season, they need the budget. Girl, they yeah. need the Mulefa budget. So everyone, stream His Dark Materials this year. Stream His Dark Materials season two. Honestly, Girls what the Gone fuck Canon else says, are you doing? do it. What yeah, the fuck you're doing else nothing. Are you doing? Watch it on Mondays if you're in the US. If you're in the UK, watch it on Sundays. Stream it. Watch it twice a week. Rewatch the episode because they need it because season three is going to be killer. Yeah. I mean, you can tell. Mulefa! A, I'm excited for the Mulefa. And also, I mean, you can tell from a lot of the way that the people who are working on this are talking about it. It's a labor of love, so. Yeah, they love it. It's it's apparent that they're in love with the series like we are. So if you are watching the series with us, Girls Gone Canon, we are so excited to watch it with you this year. We're excited to keep covering it this year like we did last year. We will have weekly episodes of each episode, of our takes on it, of our thoughts, of Eliana getting her drink for our partner halfway through the episode, of me doing vodka shots for the episode. We'll have it all. We're going to have it. That's all of it. That's actually the full experience, so... Especially the vodka. You all got actually a much more full experience <laughs> through this hot, unedited episode. <laughs> I am glad you all have listened to this episode. Thank you so much for listening to us. We wanted to break this episode, uh, this trailer down with you because, you know, it's two minutes. And like we said, there's been, what, two to four trailers technically now. This is the official one and it is more than we deserve so good for good for his dark materials and thank you for listening to girls gone canon yeah this was 17 years of waiting on my part so thank you and i'm excited for what comes out please uh you know if, if you like this episode and you don't already subscribe to us subscribe to us on like i don't know podbean apple play google podcasts amazon podcasts patreon it's not a platform. Um, Amazon Podcasts, Pandora, iHeartRadio, iHeartRadio, Acast. Chloe recently added us to a couple of things, so I'm I'm confused. We're still keeping up, and hey, 
If you enjoyed the episode, please give us a quick email or a tweet over at girlsgonecanon on twitter.com, C-A-N-O-N, or give us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yes. And of course, as you all know, we cover not only this, but the Has Dark Materials books, and we have finished doing the Golden Compass slash Northern Lights, depending on where you are in the world. And The Subtle Knife, which we actually finished only recently. So if you want something to sort of remind you of what happens during that book before you jump into Season 2, please go check us out again on girlsgonecanon.podbeaten.com. And I've been one of your hosts, Eliana. And I have been another one of your hosts, Chloe. Thanks so much for listening. And we cannot wait to cover His Dark Materials Season 2. Series 2, sorry. Series Series 2 with you. Series, yes, yes. Got to be culturally respective. (laughs) Thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.